Welcome back to Let's Talk Title with Emmercoast Title Services. I'm your host and president, Dion Moniz. We have our director of operations and co-host, Ashley Bowen. Welcome back. We are at episode 16. This is part four. I don't know how you keep up with of that. Our, yeah, me neither. <laughs> part four of our series on contracts. We think it'll be a five-part series uh, with the final uh, episode next month being on the addenda between the two contracts. But today, we're going to get through the remainder of the main contract. And so last time we discussed inspection periods and closing costs. And so today, what are we going to talk about, Ashley? Today, we are going to talk about defaults, dispute resolution, and then the real estate standards. Yep. So starting at paragraph 13 in Farbar, there's a whole section on escrow agent, which and there's a similar <laughs> section in CRISP. But let's go ahead and kind of address briefly what that uh, so um, takes care of the, the escrow agent um, or the closing agent would be us always. You wrote that on page one of the contract. That's the most important Emer part of the contract. Emerco's title Emerco's services. Emerco's title services as the escrow agent. Um, and what our job is as escrow agent is to hold the funds and then disperse the funds. Um, it talks on in paragraph 13 of the Firebar contract. It talks about the funds being collected funds. Um, that means funds have cleared our escrow account, which is why a wire transfer is required um, for your final cash to close because you, we don't have time for a check to clear our account like we do with earnest money. It's okay if you give us earnest money because it's going to usually sit in our account for you know ten days or more. Right. Um, but collected funds means cash in our bank account that we can disperse on. Um, and this paragraph thirteen also talks about whenever there's conflicting demands for a deposit what our job is to do um, and it tells us that we have two options we can either hold the funds in escrow um, until a resolution has been met or we can deposit them in the clerk of court it also says that you're allowed to charge attorney fees for your time and in, in doing all of that filing the interpleader yep yeah, so what uh, these sections set out uh, in both Farbar and Crisp is, as escrow agent, we have an ethical obligation to make sure there's good money ready to close, which gets into the collected funds part, which is why you always pre you hear us preach about wiring us the money, because even certified checks these days, or cashier's checks... They don't, they're not automatically cleared in our right, account. because they're counterfeited so much now, so they don't automatically clear like they used to. So a wire's always best. Um, and we'll get into the whole wire fraud issue at a, at a different episode. But yep, always call us to verify wiring instructions and send us the money that way. So the other part of the ethical obligation is uh, if there's ever a dispute as the EMD, we're obligated to hold the money and do the, one of two things with it. Either let the parties resolve it in court or we can do what's called an interpleader action, which uh, basically we're filing a complaint as escrow agents saying, hey court, these two parties can't agree on what to do with the money. These guys are being jerks. They're being jerks. <laughs> Here's the money. So the court goes, or the money goes to the court to hold, and then the parties have to respond and litigate it amongst themselves, in which case- We're like wiping our hands. Yeah, then it. we step out. Um, but to your point, Ashley, we get to collect attorney's fees for that interpleader. It's, it's in both sections uh, on these contracts. And those generally run around $1,200 by the time you draft the complaint get it served on everyone, pay the filing fee. And so if you're arguing over a $5,000 EMD, suddenly that just got reduced by 1200 bucks because the parties couldn't agree and we had to file an interpleader. And so 
I'll use that a lot if parties are arguing. I'll try to step in as a neutral party and say, this is how I think the contract reads. I'm a real estate lawyer. This is what I think would happen in court. Uh, if you can't agree, uh, and if we had to file an interpleader, this is what's going to happen. And, and usually that works. Usually so you know, it does work. Exactly. Um, if there's an EMD dispute, a lot of times that email that Dion sends out, everybody kind of magically comes to an agreement. Nine times out of ten, it helps for the parties to hear from a real estate attorney as to what the contract really says and what each party's rights are. I always recommend they get independent counsel because we're a neutral party, but I'll send the same message to both sides saying, here's what I think. And yeah, nine times out of ten, they can get it worked out because once you get to the point of litigating and or doing the interpleader, then only the lawyers are making the money, you know, and then it's just whittling down the EMD. So... So anyway, that's section 13 on Farbar, and I can't remember the, the, the number under Chris, but it's almost the same. And so uh, when you hear us talking about interpleader and ethical obligations and all that good stuff, that's, that's where it's set forth in the contracts. All right, so we're going to skip now to the uh, dispute resolution sections, which is a very important part from a lawyer standpoint. There's a big difference between Farbar and CRISP on how these play out, um, especially when it comes to prevailing party attorney's fees. So under both contracts, they both say that if there's a dispute uh, as the EMD or anything for that matter, but it's primarily over the EMD, then the parties have 10 days uh, to try to resolve it. And then if they can't get it resolved, they can do mediation. And the mediation gets split, the mediation costs get split by both parties. Now. I always get the question, well, what happens if the other side won't agree to mediation, and in which case you just move on to step two. You can't force the other side to mediation. It just says the parties can mediate. So that's where the difference starts. In Farbar, after mediation, you can do a civil lawsuit. Under CRISP, you're bound to do binding arbitration. You don't get to do a lawsuit in certain civil court. So that's one big difference. Um, Can you explain what binding arbitration is? Yeah, so essentially it's almost like a trial, but it's an arbitrator, and typically they're lawyers. But the parties kind of put on a mini trial in front of, front of an arbitrator, and that arbitrator gets to decide, and it becomes binding. And then what you have to do is you have to take the arbitration award and do a fancy filing with the court to make it an actual judgment or an order that's enforceable in court, but ultimately it's a binding decision by a, a third party arbitrator. Um, and under CRISP for the arbitration, it again says that both parties have to split the fees. And the last time I did an arbitration, the other side barely even did anything and it was still a $10,000 in uh, arbitration fees and attorney's fees for my client to pay. So it can get really expensive. So again, if you're battling over a five or $10,000 A&D, you're gonna spend $10,000 on arbitration fees. It doesn't make any sense because under CRISP, there is not an attorney fee provision. So even if you go through all this and you win, you don't get your attorney's fees back. Uh, in Florida, the only way you get your attorney's fees awarded as a prevailing party if it's, is, is if it's in the statute or if it's in the contract. And so when it comes to contract law and real estate closings, there are no statutes. It's all governed by the contracts. So if you don't have an attorney fee provision in the contract, you don't get your attorney's fees if you win. With some minor exceptions, there's a proposal for settlement and all that uh, that we can go over in a different episode. But 
uh, that's a trick you can try to play. But overall, what's important is to know that the contract itself does not have a fee clause. FARBAR does. So mediation doesn't work. You file a lawsuit. Prevailing party does get an award of attorney's fees uh, under the FARBAR contract. So that's a huge advantage. Because a lot of times, if I'm not escrow agent and I'm actually an attorney representing one of the sides, I can say, hey, you're in default and if we have to sue you, you're going to have to pay your attorney and you're going to have to pay me back after we win. And so a lot of times that creates uh, enough incentive for the party on the wrong it's to just resolve it. a big difference it. in yeah. these two contracts. Yeah. So, so now, yeah, if you're fighting over a $10,000 EMD and... You have to pay your attorney five to ten thousand dollars, and you lose, and you have to pay me five to ten thousand dollars. Then suddenly, you just spend a whole lot of money, uh, you know, fighting over ten thousand dollars. So, anyway, big difference between the two. It is. So something to keep in mind. It's Dion's favorite section of the contract. One of my favorite everybody. sections. <laughs> although I always say, like I said earlier, the only parties that prevail in litigation are the are the attorneys. So I'm always interested in trying to get the parties to resolve it and not get into litigation, because for us, a closed file is a good file. I, I don't want it to go to litigation. Um, and even if I have a party approach me outside of a closing that we're handling, I'll still try to talk them into getting it resolved, because it just doesn't make any sense. It wastes a lot of time and a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, because a court uh, a lawsuit can take a year or two, depending on how much it's, it's litigated. So that's a lot of time and headache and expense to worry about. It certainly is. All right, Ashley. Your turn. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now, the standards is the next section of the um, FARBAR contract. It's um, section 18. It's the last section of the contract. Is that 19? Oh, addendas 19. Yeah. Yep. So section 18, 18 and FARBAR. It's pretty much the last. Um, this entire paragraph, basically the standards are the, the terms. Um, it's like the definitions. This is the four pages essentially that crisp cut out. Crisp cut that out. <laughs> um, so there's there is a um, a section of paragraph 18 that talks about a 1031 exchange and a section that talks about FERPTA and explains it right there. Um, the crisp contract doesn't have those, but it does have them in the um, addenda that you attach to the contract. Um, and so you just have to be a little bit you have to kind of know what you're looking for right. um, to attach it in the crisps contract and you don't really have to worry about it in FARBAR. Yeah, so FARBAR already has it built in, whereas on CRISP, you've got to be, the onus is on the agent to make sure the proper addenda are included, whereas it's already in FARBAR. So way back when, when CRISP decided they were going to make it easier. They made it harder. They made it harder <laughs> on the agents, yeah. It is shorter and it, it appears to read uh, a little bit better, but uh, it, it's not as protective for both parties so and, and this is one of the reasons so um, the first part of um, section 18 talks about um, title ev evidence restrictions easements limitations it basically says the things that my commitment is gonna say it says that you've got to have um, like ingress and egress um, to the property which is like access to the property um, it says that um, the commitment that we provide and the, the title insurance um, that we provide at the end of the day, um, it, it tells you what all it's going to accept um, on the title insurance policy. And then yep. um, the title examination is the next section um, where 
it tells us that the buyer has five days after receipt of the title commitment. Both, both of these, I, I believe, have five days. Yeah, so five days after the receipt of the title commitment, the buyer has a chance to look it over, and if there are any defects in title, um, then they have to, in writing, tell the seller, hey, there's these issues um, that I need you to fix, and then the seller has to, at that time, start trying to fix um, what's, what's wrong with title. Like, I've got one going on right now where we've got a sub, some federal IRS liens, mm-hmm. um, and so that's title defect, it's attached to the property. And so the seller is working on with the IRS to clear them up. Um, and the contracts, both contracts, give you um, ex- a, a cure period. It's 30 days for the seller to work on getting it cleared. If after the 30 days um, they haven't cleared it up, the buyer can either cancel the contract and get their EMD back, or they can extend the cure period to hun- another 120 days until the seller can, I guess it just depends on how badly the buyer wants the property, if they're gonna stick to it. Right. Um, but that cure period, I think is, um, it's something that doesn't really get talked about a lot, but. It doesn't. It's very common in commercial transactions. It's uh, every everyone that I've handled on the commercial side, on either side of the fence, the buyer's counsel, as soon as they get that title commitment, they issue a title objection letter to the seller's counsel and say, all right, these are all the title issues you gotta get cleared up. And that triggers the cure period. That way, if the seller can't get it cured, then it opens up some remedies. So in here, it's in the contract, but the only way you trigger that cure period is to actually do a title objection letter, which most parties don't do on residential. No. So, because we had that come up last week, a week before, uh, seller was trying to get an automatic extension to cure the title defects, but there was not a title objection letter, so that language didn't kick in and the buyer had to agree to give the extension. Otherwise, the buyer could say, you can't close with clear title, I'm out, give me, give me back my money, and they get the MD. Whereas if the title objection letter is done, the cure period's triggered, then that seller does get that time frame. So that's something to be mindful of. Uh, well, and it's important that you work with a title company who yep. will give you the commitment and explain it to you if there are issues on it. Right. And then you have the chance to then in writing, tell the seller, hey, you need to fix these things. Right. Yeah, because we'll typically send it, and if y'all see something really weird, you'll draw attention to it. Otherwise, if it looks pretty clean, then they're... The title looks good. Yeah, good to go. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's an interesting uh, section in, in FAR Bar. Again, it's not in CRISP. Um, I can't remember if it's in one of the writers or not. We'll discuss that next next oh, month. the cure period, it's in there. Okay. It's just in the meat of the contract. Um, same little title section. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing with the survey. If there's any encroachments or um, problems with the survey, then that also can kick in that title examination cure period. Um, it says that you've got ingress and egress, you've got access to the property. Um, this talks about, again, about the lease information, if the property is... Um, is yeah, this addresses the stop letter. So 10 days before closing, the seller has to provide a stop letter. So not just a copy of the lease like it was in the beginning part, but this is also the estoppel letter. Yeah, this is the final estoppel that, where the tenants have to uh, certify that they're not in default and all the rent's paid and all that good stuff. Okay. So yeah. And then, um, then we have time. Um, that is one of the main other, well, it's pretty big um, difference in the two contracts. So this is where it says that um, in... Firebar, the calendar days shall be used in computing time periods. Um, and 
if a deadline falls on a weekend or national legal holiday, then it rolls over to the next business day at 5 p.m. Um, and then crisp is your count business days. 5 p.m. on business day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it actually states Every 5 p.m. Yeah. It's 5 p.m. on business days. And that goes back to our first part of the series where we were arguing over whether or not you have until 11.59 p.m. under Farbar if it's not on a weekend or our holiday. And, and ultimately, I said, we need to use 5 p.m. just to be safe. But yeah, it's interesting how that's, how that's worded in Farbar versus Chris. And we had talked Chris. about the, the way that time's computed in the two contracts before. Um, and Farbar, it's always like a strict deadline. And then in CRISP, it's the earlier of these two deadlines. I actually had one of our really good clients who sells a lot of real estate call me over the weekend and say, I never use CRISP because you guys told me not to, but it's a CRISP and I don't know what the deadline is. <laughs> so I had to, we had to kind of work it out. Like, yeah. okay, it's the earlier of these two days. Yep. It's um, down with a calendar and a calculator yeah, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Just, um, and then Force majeure um, is different in each of these contracts as well. Um, the far bar, well, a force majeure is an act of God that keeps you from closing. Right. Um, but the far bar actually includes the inability to obtain insurance, um, where CRISP doesn't have that language in it. Um, so we may not have a hurricane hitting us, but there's a hurricane in the Gulf. You can't bind insurance. Um, and so the Firebar just added that little bit of language, which I think is good. Automatic extension. Yeah, CRISP has language that says if it's due to circumstances outside the party's control, then it qualifies as a force majeure event. So you could argue that, hey, I can't get insurance because of this hurricane. It's not my fault. And but you could argue anything. You that could yeah, backdoor clause. Backdoor clause is what <laughs> we like to call that. So, it, yeah, it's a little more black and white in Firebar, a little more gray and CRISP, and lawyers love the gray. So, you know, something to keep in mind. But uh, one last, because we're, we're about out of time, actually. So one, one other thing I wanted to address, or at least reference, is in the standards for FARBAR, there's a whole section on FERPTA, half a page. And we're going to do a, an episode on FERPTA after our contract Yay! series. Yeah. <laughs> so it actually addresses what all needs to be done, whereas Chris just says if FERPTA applies, the parties will comply with FERPTA. <laughs> I mean, it, basically, that's all it says. Like what's, so, what's FERPTA? Farbar gives a lot more guidance on that, but we'll do that in another episode. Um, so, I think that's going to do it for today. Okay, so that means we're done with the contract. We're done with the actual contract. It only took us four months. That's right. <laughs> um, and then we'll get addenda next time. Yep, next episode is addenda, so stay tuned for that. And again, we're always looking for cool topics that you want to hear about. So uh, send us a, a message or drop it, drop it whatever, right here. <laughs> email, drop it here, follow us, smash that like button, all that good stuff. Smash that like button. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll see you next month on Adenda. <laughs> Sayonara.